Hannah, Jordan, Mark, Tim, and Brandon. Nice job. Thanks for leading us in worship. That was great. Yeah. Hey, we're back in Acts today. We've uh, uh, been out of Acts since uh, before Christmas, and now we are back in gear again. Uh, back at the table, right outside the middle doors, we have these booklets that uh, Gilbert put together. I appreciate that. Um, Pastor Jason Ritchie and I uh, wrote the questions, and then uh, Nancy and Gil kind of put them online. And anyway, uh, you might want to grab one of those. It's good for uh, small groups, and uh, it'd be a great opportunity for you now to join a small group. This is uh, really a, a perfect time. So uh, make your way to the back table if you're interested. Uh, but again, this is part two. We'll have one more. This will take us through Easter, uh, and then we'll have part three that will finish the book of Acts. Uh, today we land in Acts chapter 9. If you have your Bible, open it up there. Um, this is, okay, the Bible doesn't rank events, but, but I do. Okay, Scott? So I think this is the second most important uh, event in church history. Okay? Uh, Acts chapter 2, my opinion... Uh, the most important event would be uh, the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came down, the church began. Whoop, almost knocked a tree off. Uh, and then uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's where the church began. Then Peter goes out and preaches powerfully. 3,000 Jews join the brand new church there in Acts chapter 2. Uh, my view, this is the second most important event in church history, and we'll see why in a little bit. Um, think with me now, who are some of the least likely people that you can think that would ever be followers of Christ? Who in your mind, that's one person, no, they're too far gone. That, that, that is a stretch to even think that this person would ever come to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, think in history, people who aren't alive anymore, um, people like uh, Al Capone, if you're from near Chicago like I am, his name comes to my brain, um, got some of the big monster murderers of all time, Mussolini, you've got Hitler and Stalin, no way, right Jim, if you were living during those, no way, that's not ever going to happen. Uh, Ten years ago we would have said, Saddam Hussein uh, becoming a follower of Jesus and then promoting Jesus in Iraq. Never going to happen. Not going to happen. Uh, maybe five years ago, we might have said Osama bin Laden comes to faith in Jesus Christ and now he's an evangelist touring all over the world sharing about Jesus. <clears throat> That's a stretch. Not ever going to happen. People alive today, let me give you a few more uh, on my least likely list. Uh, Kim, Kim Jong-un, uh, he is now the president dictator of communist atheist North Korea. Would you be surprised if you heard Kim Jong-un has said yes to Jesus and now officially North Korea is a Christian nation and he's leading the charge? And we'd say, mm, I, don't, I don't see that happening. Uh, here's another uh, uh, person, think about it in your brain. Uh, what if Hugh Hefner... Uh, what if he, longtime Playboy founder, 
promoting a hedonistic lifestyle. Would you be shocked if I told you Hugh Hefner has said yes to Jesus and now he's built a church and he's going to be the pastor? Uh, I don't think so, Pastor Jeff. Uh, I don't see that. Um, Richard Dawkins, he's the leading atheist of our time, uh, evolutionary biologist from Oxford, uh, most vocal atheist, writes books that uh, tries to mock and make fun of Christianity. What if Richard Dawkins suddenly now becomes a follower of Christ and he becomes a leading spokesman for the church and for the cause of Christ? Why am I giving you all these examples? Because these are the types of people that the church in Acts chapter 9 would have thought of. They would have put Saul of Tarsus in that same category. Matter of fact, I think most of them would say, even those other names, Saul of Tarsus is even more unlikely to become a follower of Jesus. There's just no way this guy who is a terrorist would ever become an evangelist. That is just too far and beyond our imagination. Now I want to show you why the church would have thought this way. Acts chapter 9 uh, we'll put it up here on the wall. Ruth's going to put it up. Uh, verses 1 and 2, here's what it says. Meanwhile, Saul, we know him later as Paul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Matter of fact, he went to the high priest in Jerusalem and he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way of Jesus, finds anybody who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners and haul them back to Jerusalem. Do you understand why they said no way? <laughs> if there's anybody ever that would never, ever come to faith in Jesus Christ, he hates Jesus. He's trying to destroy and stamp out the church. That would never happen. Here's what Paul wrote about himself as he was before he became a Christ follower. In Acts chapter 26, if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. Acts 26, starting with verse 9, here's what Paul says as he's talking and giving a speech to King Agrippa. This is what I was like when I was hunting down Christians. He says, I was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of of Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 10, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in, what does it say? Prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Verse 11, many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme, renounce the name of Jesus. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Damascus was 125, 130 miles away from Jerusalem. Uh, I'm told that's about a week's worth of effort going from Jerusalem to Damascus on horseback. So, so Paul is so intent on killing and torturing and imprisoning followers of Jesus. He'll take a week out of his life and travel to a foreign city 
because he's going to do everything he can to wipe out those who dare to follow the way of Jesus Christ. That's how obsessed, that's how hate-filled he was. Whatever it takes, I want to ravage and destroy the growing Christian community in Damascus. Okay? Um, if there ever was anyone in all of history who might be too far gone, they might be beyond the reach of Jesus Christ, I, I think the folks here in Damascus would say, I, I think his name is Saul. He he's too hard, he's too angry, he's too hate-filled, there's no way that he ever would become a follower of Jesus. Let's stand together. We'll start reading in verse 3 out loud together. And uh, once again, Ruth will put it up here on the wall for us. You ready? Let's uh, out loud uh, read this amazing, amazing story. Here we go. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias... Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, these are really important, critical strategic words that we just read. When uh, you uh, came and did an amazing and an awesome work on one of the least likely ever to say yes to your son Jesus. So help us to understand and appreciate the significance of this passage that we're studying right now. And Lord, I'm asking even right now that you'll help us to think about the people around us that we're pretty sure are beyond salvation. Lord, bring to our minds people that we've put into the category of lost causes. Um, and Lord, I'm praying that you'll show us what you think about lost causes. Lord, uh, show us what you think about people that we think are too far gone and, and impossible to be reached for you. Lord, would you point them out clearly? Would you make those... Uh, those names and those faces very, very clear to each and every one of us, even right now. And like we do almost every Sunday, Lord, we uh, just want to pause and we want to invite the third person of the Trinity, Jesus in spirit form, to come and we welcome you into your church even right now. So uh, may your spirit be welcomed and Lord, as we worship you and study your book, Lord, uh, we invite your word and your spirit to wake us up. Help us to hear clearly from you, even right now. And we pray all of these things in the awesome name of your son, Jesus Christ. 
And all the church gathered at Wallen Lake said loud and clear, you may be seated. Verse 3, I like the word suddenly. You want to say it with me? Suddenly. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of cool. And Dr. Luke chose that word inspired by the, the Holy Spirit. Verse 3 says, uh, And as Paul neared Damascus on his journey, say it, suddenly. Yeah. Uh, Paul was bringing his traveling murder show to town. And literally, that's what it was. He'd travel from town to town, and he would murder and imprison and torture and do everything he could to stamp out Christianity. When suddenly, Saul gets knocked down by Jesus Christ. This is kind of interesting if you think about it with me. The hunter of Christians suddenly becomes the hunted by Jesus Christ. The, the hunter, the one who would go out and hunt down followers of Jesus, now the hunter has become the hunted. Big, tough, educated, wealthy, religious Saul is suddenly knocked to the ground by the Lord. You got that in your brain? He's heading on his way. He's on important business. He's going to go in and he's going to crush the church there in Damascus. And now the Lord says, oh, really? And he knocks him to the ground. And note the very patient, gentle, kind words that the Lord says to him. Look at what it says. It says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? <laughs> Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Jim, think about words you would say if you are now going to confront, you just knocked Saul to the ground. Uh, what are some things that we might say to Saul at this moment, Henry? Think about it. Um, I think I would pick him up like this and take that, take that, Saul, take that. Uh, or or uh, think you're a big shot now, don't you? Um, I don't get mad, I get what? Yeah, that would be a good thing to say. Um, one of the commentators, James McDonald, said he, he would look at him and say, prepare to die, I'm about to smash you. Because really, if you think about it, that's what he deserved. But when the Lord gets his attention, verse 5, Saul says back to him, look at it, um, who are you, Lord? He knew this was a divine encounter. He knew that God was getting his attention, but Jesus was not in Paul's vocabulary. So he asks a good question. This is divine. This is God stuff. Who are you? Verse 5, I am Jesus, Saul, whom you are persecuting. I'm the one that you've been chasing around and trying to stamp my name out. It's my kids and my church that you're attempting to destroy. I am Jesus, Saul, and I'm the one ultimately that you're persecuting. Now think with me now what Jesus is saying. When you mess with followers of Jesus, when you persecute 
and, and are torturing and doing bad stuff to Jesus followers, people of the way, you're actually ultimately torturing and persecuting Jesus. He's the one you're really mad at. He's the one that you really are, are troubled with. And, and he says, when, when you attack the church, when you attack my kids, you're attacking me. Verse 6, now uh, get up, Saul, and go into Damascus, and I'll give you some instructions. Now this is important. Understand, Saul was not looking and seeking for Jesus. Saul was not hungry to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Saul wasn't thirsty and saying, oh, I wish I knew this Jesus. That's not true. Matter of fact, he hated Jesus, and he hated people of the way of Jesus. But here's what you need to know. Are you ready? But Jesus Christ was hunting Saul, and Jesus Christ was seeking Saul, and Jesus Christ sought and captured and knocked Saul down. So here's what you need to know. If you're a follower of Jesus today, guess who initiated that relationship? Uh, Jesus Christ. He's the one who goes after sinners. He's the one who goes after the Sauls of this world. And Jesus Christ had a plan for Saul and his life, and he went and he hunted Saul down, and then he broke Saul down. Did you know that that still is the way that Jesus works? It's, it's the hounds of heaven, isn't it, Jim? It's the Lord comes after us, and he starts knocking on our door, and he's breaking things down so we'll finally wake up to the fact that we need to say yes to Jesus in our lives. Verse 9, for three days Saul was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Three days Saul was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Would you shut your eyes for just a moment? Just shut them. And now just assume that you're going to have to keep your eyes this way shut for the next three days. If that was what the Lord did to you right now, would you not agree he has your attention? <laughs> Suddenly now, um, you're going to be thinking, and verse 11 says that you're going to be praying about what in the world is going on right now. Saul had a, an encounter with the risen Christ, and from now on, nothing was going to be the same again. You can open your eyes, some of you who are very obedient. Yeah, nice job. Yeah. Um, well, well, how do you know, how do you know, Pastor Jeff, they had an encounter with the resurrected Christ? I, I want to show you. Um, slide down to verse 17. It says in verse 17, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you. Verse 27, Barnabas told them how Saul had seen the Lord. And in 2 Corinthians, we say that Paul says very clearly, I, I had this encounter and I saw the risen, resurrected Jesus Christ. Now we get three different versions 
of this incident in Paul's life, Saul's life, in the book of Acts. Isn't that interesting? Three times. We get Dr. Luke's account. If you go to Acts chapter 22, we have a speech before the crowd in Jerusalem. And again, he talks about what goes on here. And in Acts chapter 26, when he's speaking to King Agrippa, uh, he also mentions these details. Acts 22.9, it says that Saul's companions saw the light. They saw something was going on. And, and it says here in Acts 9, they, they could hear something. But Acts 22.9 says they couldn't understand the voice of Jesus Christ. They knew something Really crazy was going on, but they weren't sure exactly what was up. So Saul, three days, sits and thinks and ponders and prays after the Lord broke through and got his attention. For three days, got nothing to do, no food, no water. I think he was fasting. Uh, Lord, I need to know what's up here. And for three days, he just sits there and ponders what is going on? Saul has come to Damascus to break and capture followers of the way of Jesus. And now he has been broken. And he has been captured by Jesus Christ. Let me say this again. Jesus is still in the business of breaking through and grabbing a hold of and capturing our attention. In my life, it, it wasn't struck blind. I was struck down by a girlfriend, okay? Um, and things went south in a hurry, and I was a royal jerk living far from Jesus. And the girlfriend says, mm, I'm sick of you. I like him better. Um, and in a month, they were husband and wife. See, I, I went from engaged to, really? Really, Lord? <laughs> and I'm just telling you the way the Lord knocks you down and strikes you blind, it varies, doesn't it? It's not always the same, but I'm telling you, the Lord is still in the business of hunting down sinners and knocking you down to the ground. Sometimes it's health issues. Sometimes it's a relationship Sometimes economic things go bad. He, he has a host of ways of knocking us to the ground and capturing our attention. And suddenly now it's like, uh, okay, Lord, um, what did you have in mind? Here's what you need to know. When we look at this passage here and we see Jesus reaching out and breaking and humbling Saul, there is no one around you today who's too far gone and out of the reach of the saving arms of Jesus. Do you know that? There is no one, there's no one you know, and there's no one here today who's out of the reach of Jesus Christ to reach and capture and break you. So after sitting in complete blindness for three days in a house, on Straight Street, that's hard to say. You want to say it with me three times? Straight Street, Straight Street, Straight Street. Okay. Um, sorry. Verse 11. Nothing to eat, nothing to drink. Verse 12. 
Saul gets a message. Hey, there's someone named Ananias. Um, okay, and he's going to come pay you a visit, and you're going to get your sight back. But first, Ananias needed some convincing. Look at verse 13. It's on the back of your bulletin, if you don't have your Bible. Um, here's, uh, here's the convincing that needed to happen. Uh, he, he needed a little encouragement here. Um, Lord, Ananias answered, uh, I just read in the Damascus Daily News about this man, Saul, and um, Lord, I just read about all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. Um, I just, just need to tell you something, Lord. Um, this is not a nice man. Um, verse 14, and he's come here, he's come to Damascus with authority from the chief priests. And, and they gave him the authority to arrest all of us who call on your name, Jesus. Um, matter of fact, uh, Lord, we've been hiding. We've been playing our best hide-and-seek game because we knew he was coming to town, and we've been hiding and running from this guy. Um, Lord, really? Verse 11, Ananias, go. Saul of Tarsus is waiting for you. Um, Lord, are you sure? <laughs> Lord, are you really sure? I think maybe this guy is beyond salvation. I think maybe this is, is someone who can't be redeemed. He's too far gone, Lord. He, he's evil and he's bloodthirsty. Lord, are you really sure you want me to go to see Saul of Tarsus? Verse 15, Lord's response. But the Lord said to Ananias, um, what does he say? Go. This man is my chosen instrument. Isn't that interesting? This evil, wicked, bloodthirsty, hate-filled man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings, to the people of the, of the world. Ananias, I could have chosen a violin, I could have chosen a clarinet, I know, but I've chosen a tuba. I've chosen a sledgehammer named Saul. And Saul is going to be my chosen instrument to take the good news of me to the Gentile world. A Ananias, he he's my man. Vile, murderous, torturer, hate-filled Saul, God's chosen instrument. And some of us walk around and we say those same things about ourselves, don't we? You know, what banner are you flying about you today? If I would say, what banner are you holding up about what you believe about yourself? Some of you'd say some really ugly stuff. Can I suggest to you that we should fly the same banner? Verse 15, look at it. Chosen by King Jesus. Okay? If you're a follower of Christ, here's the truth. You've been chosen. You are chosen and you are loved by King Jesus. It's time to put up the new banner. Take the old one down, the one that talks about what you used to be. No, no. It's a new banner now, and I'm going to fly it, and I'm going to believe I'm God's chosen instrument. Can I say it again? 
No one at any time is too far gone for Jesus to break through to. Nobody you know, nobody that I know is too far gone for Jesus to humble and then use for his purposes. Nobody, no one, never has been anybody. Now, here's what I need you to know, okay? Listen close. He didn't make Saul a robot here. I believe and I now receive. There was no robot going on here. He did not hypnotize Saul and make Saul, I force you now to say the right words and believe in Jesus Christ. There was none of that going on. Listen closely. But what he did do is he knocked him down, he blinded him for three days, and he made him think and sit there, and now he's ready to respond to Jesus Christ. That's still what's going on today. He still is on the march, the Lord Jesus. He still is in the business of hunting down sinners like us and knocking us down and getting our attention, and then it's our responsibility to say yes. Okay? So, so who initiates salvation every time? What's the answer? Jesus. And who's the one who chased who? Did you chase Jesus or did he chase you? It's always he chased you and now he's got your attention and our job is like this big and it's to say, yes. You understand? Oh, I... No. Anything that went on, he initiated, he ran you down, he, he got your attention and now, yes. Um... Verse 16, the Lord tells Ananias, this is not going to be fun for him, though. You need to know, Ananias, that this is not going to be a cushy, comfortable calling. I will show him, I will show Saul how much he must what? He's going to, he's going to do some big-time suffering as my chosen instrument. And if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 29, you might want to write that down. You can read it this next week. Um, Paul gives some detail of some of the sufferings that he endured. Um, Saul, who later becomes Paul, says that I was imprisoned frequently. I was flogged. I was whipped with a cat of nine tails five times, ripped skin off. I was beaten with rods. Can I, can I tell you that, that he's not talking about wiffle ball bats there, okay? Rods are similar today. Um, I think some of you know what a pool stick is, pool cue, you understand? That's similar. There's a little whip in it, and, and he was beaten with rods, just beat him bloody, beat him till there's bruises everywhere. It says pelted with stones, ship, shipwrecked three times, robbed, um, starving, no water, no place to stay. Look again at verse 16. This was prophetical. Saul would suffer much in being God's chosen instrument. Verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house on Straight Street and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, 
The only place that Ananias is mentioned in the New Testament, any guesses? In relationship to this event in, in Saul's life. This is the only mention, and, and it's only mentioned that he was obedient to go to Saul and follow the Lord's command. Now here's my question. As he goes to Straight Street, where's Judas's house? Okay, I got it. Opens the door and walks in. Here's my question. Do you think, knowing the reputation of Saul, knowing what he had done to thousands of other Christians, do you think Ananias was afraid? What's your answer? So if he was afraid, why did he act? If he was afraid, if, if he was scared, honestly, why did he go ahead and do it? Are you ready? Courage is not the absence of fear. A lot of us say, well, well, I'll go ahead and act, Lord, as soon as I'm not afraid anymore. That's not what courage is. Courage is I'm afraid, but by faith, I'm going to do it anyway. Courage is doing it afraid. So here's my question. What's the Lord asking you to do that you've been hiding behind fear as your excuse? I know, Lord, you would like me to do this, but, but I'm afraid. And, and, and it's like the Lord saying, yeah, so do it afraid. Trust me. I'll go there with you. I'll walk with you. It's, it's time to go and do it afraid. Verse 17, went to the house, entered it, placed his hands on Saul, and he said these words. These are amazing words. Brother Saul, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, here has sent me. Brother Saul, uh, you're, you're a part of the family. And, and not only that, he didn't just say brother Saul, what else did he do? He touched him, he put his hands on him. And then he says, you're a part of the family of Christ. Welcome to the family, brother Saul. The Lord sent me and, and here I am. And, and, and you know what? You're part of the family. And Saul's been sitting in darkness now. He's been sitting there not eating, not drinking. Clearly, the Lord has his attention. And notice what happens. The Lord has his attention. And he sent me here so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. When Ananias arrived, he was ready to respond. He was ready to say yes you're right, Jesus, you are the king, you are the Messiah. And by faith, right here, he receives Jesus Christ and accepts him by faith. And notice immediately, verse 18, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. It was interesting to read what the commentators thought. Somebody said, uh, you know, like you wake in the morning and you got that, that morning eye. Well, well, this was like a hundred times that. So he had to wipe it away so he could see. And somebody else said, no, it was like dead skin. Um, and then somebody had the idea it was like fish scales. Here's the truth. Something was going on there, but it was like scales. I'll use Dr. Luke's words. It was like scales. And anyway, it kind of came off of his eyes. And now he could see. But don't miss this. He could not only see physically, now he could see how else? Spiritually as well. More importantly, 
uh, his eyes are opened. And the first thing that Saul does, once he can see physically and spiritually, go back to the text, verse 18, he got up and he ran to the bathroom, right? Is that what you do? Uh, He got up and he ran and he's so hungry. I need French toast and bacon. No, uh, that's later on when he eats bacon. Um, He got up and was what? What does it say? First thing he does, I've now received this Jesus as my Savior, and I'm going public with it. And what's the way that we declare I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus? How do we publicly declare I'm a follower of Jesus? You, you get what? You get baptized. You identify with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the first thing that Saul does when he gets up. Um, Please don't miss this. You see all that went on here, and then he takes some food, and then he goes on out, and he starts proclaiming right there in Damascus. But don't miss this. No one is too lost for Jesus to find them. Nothing and no one is too hard that Jesus can't break them. Who is it in your life that you've given up on? That's my question. Who is it in your family, and maybe you've prayed for them for a long time, and they still don't want much to do about Jesus? Matter of fact, they may even make fun of you for your faith. They may even think you're really goofy for being here on Sunday morning when you could be doing a lot of other stuff. Do you have somebody in your life, and man, they're living far away in the land of sin, and they're just eating with the pigs and rolling around in the pig manure, and they think they're doing fine. Someone shackled, chained to an addiction in your life, that person, that will never be broken. That would be too hard. Who is the Lord asking you not to give up on this morning? Think about it. Who is it the Lord is saying, you know what? I want you to start praying for this person, and I don't want you to give up praying for this person. Because no one is outside the saving grasp of the arms of Jesus Christ. No one. About two years ago, I did a funeral here, and uh, it was a friend of mine. And uh, when he first started coming, I said, Ed, what brought you to Walloon? And he said, um, I'm not really sure. I think maybe the sign. I saw the sign, and I started, just started coming in and started talking to Ed. And uh, pretty much every time the doors of the church were open, Ed was here. And uh, here's what's interesting. Um, every time I would ask for someone to respond, every Sunday I would ever ask, um, somebody, guess, guess what? Ed was back there. Larry, right in your seat. He'd be raising his hand. Yep. So one day I said, um, Ed, can I ask you something? Why do you always raise your hand? <laughs> you know, every time I talk about asking Jesus or, or following Christ, you raise your hand. And here's what Ed said. He said, Pastor Jeff, if you knew what I used to be like, 
If you knew the life of sin that I used to be involved in, I just, every time you, t- I just want the Lord to know I'm still in it, okay? So I raise my hand because I'm just letting him know I still love you and I'm still going to follow you. I said, okay, Ed, that makes sense. Just keep raising your hand. Um, anyway, um, Ed is here. He's involved. He joins Walloon. He's on benevolent committee. He's here constantly. Um, and Ed dies. And uh, we're having the funeral here. And there's a guy about where you're sitting, Penny. And he stands up and he turns around and he just starts crying. You know, when we're sharing. And I'm thinking, why? Why is he crying? And he said, um, I was Ed's first boss when he first joined the auto industry. He, he was the manager of a car dealership. And he said, Ed was the best salesman I ever had. And I started talking to Ed about Jesus Christ I invited him to church, and Ed made it real clear to me, no thank you, don't need your Jesus, don't need your church, leave me alone. He said, so that was 40 years ago, so I started praying every day for Ed. Every day for 40 years, I prayed by name for Ed. And he's standing right there, and he's just weeping. And he said, I just want you to know it was worth it. 40 years it took, but I just kept praying, 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 and see the Lord hunted Ed down, knocked him down to the ground, got his attention. Ed became a part of us. So uh, who, who's the Saul in your life today? Who, who's that Ed in your life that the Lord is saying, no, you're not going to quit, you're not going to give up, you're not just going to say, no, they're, they're a lost cause. No, no, they, they're, they're too far gone. Who is the person in your life that the Lord's saying, I want you to keep praying for? You realize salvation begins with prayer, doesn't it? It, it starts, we've got to start knocking on the door of heaven. And I'm telling you, by God's grace, I'm not going to quit knocking. If, even if it's 40 years, I'm going to keep praying and Lord asking you to do a powerful work in this person's life. Who is that person in your life? Who's the Lord asking you to be an Ananias to? And and you're willing to step up, just like that guy did, and and he shared the good news, and at that time wasn't interested, but so he just, okay, I'll just go into prayer mode. Who is that person for you? Would you shut your eyes? And I I just want you to just say simply, um, speak, Lord. I'm listening. Here's what I believe. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, the Lord has some Eds, some Sauls that he wants you to be praying. Starts with prayer. I'm going to start praying. Look for opportunities, Lord. As I have opportunity, I'm going to speak up. I'm going to share the love of of your son Jesus. But by your grace, Lord, I'm not going to think of them as a lost cause anymore. I'm not going to think of them as being too far gone, too in sin to be reached. Because the truth is, Lord, if you could reach Saul, you can reach this person you're talking to me about right now. Now here's the healthy next step. Would you grab a pen if you have one? And there's a spot in the back of the bulletin. Would you write their name down? You can open your eyes now. Write their name down. 
And, and I want you to just let the Lord know, hey, Lord, um, you spoke, and, and, and I just realized I got the memo. And, and write that person or those two people or maybe even those three people that the Lord's saying, I'm going to be ananized to them. By your grace, Lord, I'm not going to give up. Not going to give up. Nope. Or, or maybe if you don't have a pen, just say their name. Just whisper it right now. Lord, I've heard, uh, and, I, and this is the person you've spoken to me about, and I'm not going to give up. I'm not giving up. You didn't give up on Saul. Lord, you're not giving up on them, and neither am I. One last time. Shut your eyes one more time. Maybe the person that you thought was too far gone and too sinful and too messed up to come to faith in Jesus was you. Is it possible that maybe you're thinking about yourself, you know, I've just done too many bad, wrong, sin things, and and I don't think Jesus wants me on his team. I, I don't think he wants me to be one of his kids. And here's the fact. If the Lord wanted Saul on his team, murderous, evil, bloodthirsty, hate-filled Saul, are you ready? He wants you to be one of his children too. He wants you to follow him as well. So I just need to ask as we close, is there anyone who'd say, you know, thanks, Lord, for running me down? And maybe the way he ran you down was to get you to church today. And and Lord, you've made it clear and obvious that you can save even me. And I'm right now going to be just like Saul. And and you knocked me down to the ground and you got my attention. And right now I'm ready and willing to follow you. Anybody just lift up your hand and say, that's me. I was that person. I thought I was too far gone. I was pretty sure I was beyond what Jesus wanted. Anybody else? That's me. That's me. Some of you just responded. I have great news. The gospel is built on facts. Here's the fact. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, took on human form, lived that sinless life, and he did that for you. Can you just say, Jesus, I believe you are the sinless Lamb of God, right where you're seated. And and Jesus, I believe that you took my place on the cross. You did that for me. And, And Jesus, I believe that you shed your blood for my greatest problem in life. I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I believe you took my place in the tomb. And Jesus, I also believe you didn't stay dead. I believe early on Sunday morning, you literally, bodily, physically arose from the dead. You did that for me. You defeated sin and Satan and death, and that's a fact, and I believe it for me. And right now, Jesus, by faith, I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. (laughs) Jesus has run you down. Jesus has, has gotten your attention. And now, Jesus, I choose to follow you. Lord, thank you for the good news that you specialize in sinners like me. Thank you, Lord, for hunting us down and initiating salvation and knocking so loudly on our heart's doors. I pray for each of us, and I pray especially for those
who said yes to you today. Lord, help us to never give up on anyone because there's no one beyond the reach of the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I know we're over time, but it'd be really good to worship Christ one last song, don't you think? The king to worship? Okay, so let's stand together. Let's worship him. And uh, that was my bad. You guys finished on time. Um, But uh, let's worship the Lord as we close.